Good afternoon, and welcome to the Voice of Wisdom. With over 60 years of experience as an investment banker, entrepreneur, investment analyst, economist, and venture capitalist, Morty Davis is Wall Street and capitalism personified. The over 400 companies for which he has raised more than $3 billion over the years have created a countless number of jobs and exciting new products. Through the voice of wisdom, Mr. Davis explores, analyzes, and debates the most topical political, economic, and social issues facing our world today. Joining Mr. Davis today for a discussion on inflation is Ephraim Lowy. And now, Mr. Davis and Mr. Lowy. Welcome back. I miss you all week. So I'm delighted to be back with you, and I'm particularly thrilled to have Mr. Lowy as a well-known genius in our community, and he should make for uh, a much better uh, uh, podcast than if I do it without him. So welcome, Ephraim, and uh, I look forward to his insights. But we're having a discussion tonight on an important issue, the one that's even maybe one of the top issues in the current um, election that's imminent. It's within uh, about 10 days. Isn't it about 10 days? Uh, Two weeks. Two weeks. And um, everybody is aware of it every single day. Maybe the two most important uh, uh, influential um, factors in um, in getting to people's uh, vote uh, is um, is the two G's, which they see every day: the cost of gas and groceries, every single day, and that's aggravating them, and it's. Um, uh, a big problem, particularly for those at the bottom of the income distribution, uh, because any raise in the cost of groceries or gas is is devastating. They have to choose between food or, or uh, medical care, or you know, it's just you know a, a great burden. And they, if they blame it on the Democrats, then the Democrats are going to lose. If they don't blame it on the Democrats, uh, that'll be interesting because the, they always blame any any negatives on the uh, group that's in the party that's in power. So uh, we, it's an important subject, very timely, and I'd like to hear your questions. I invited uh, you to send in any questions you have, and we we can pick up on them later today. And if I don't answer them today, I'll do it next week. So let me say the uh, this is the, the current inflation is the um, is the most damaging since Carter was president going back in 1977, 78, 79 just before Reagan came in. At that time, 
I remember uh, government bonds, U.S. Treasuries, which always sell around a three, four, five percent yield, was was I think up to eighteen percent, and uh, we had stagflation. In other words, we had the worst of all worlds. We had people unemployed, and the and the economy was depressed, and we had enormous inflation, over twenty percent for for mortgages. So, and this, ever since the 80s, since Reagan came in, and uh, up to this current time, we have not had, uh, the United States has not had a, a significant concern about inflation. As a matter of fact, up to recently, we were down at zero inflation. The, the Fed was trying to get it up to two percent, so we have some uh, a little inflation is considered healthy. So <clears throat> I just want to give you one one set of facts because they keep blaming this inflation on uh, on the Democrats and and uh, have you got that shot up? There? I have a shot up that you, you can observe with me. But the, uh, the United States, which is considered, you know, having a uh, very burdensome record uh, in recent years, inflation is, uh, compared to others, is really doing extremely well. The, the highest of the advanced countries as Turkey has a 20, what is it, 63? 83. 83%, 83.5% inflation rate. Argentina has a 83%. Netherlands, Holland has 14.5%. Great Britain, the United Kingdom has over 10%, 10.1%. Germany, has over 10% as well. Spain has 8.9%. Just so you have a frame of reference, the United States currently has a, an inflation rate of 8.2%. Italy has 89 Mexico has 87 So this, on this list, it's clearly not a, a United States-inspired uh, or induced uh, problem. It seems to be a world problem emanating from the manipulation of the price of oil by OPEC, which has been in the history of the human race, the biggest exploitation, the biggest external tax against the United States ever. Ever since 72, we've been paying way more than, than we would have to pay absent OPEC. They manipulate the... Uh, amount of oil out there and uh, the am amount of oil they drill for and, and ship out. They're, they're the biggest exporter in the world. And recently, only recently, when the price was way up and the demand wasn't overwhelming, they decided to cut by 2 million barrels a day the amount they're gonna, that they're going to produce and ship. So they want to keep the price around hundred dollars or at least eighty dollars and uh, it, it just it's interesting 
it costs Saudi Arabia about maybe 12 or $15 to take a barrel of oil out of the ground. And they love it when it trades at $100. And, and it's all manipulated because only a little more than a year ago, they paid you to take a barrel of oil from them. And I couldn't figure out why, why they would ever pay. It was minus $40. And if you, if you take, took delivery, they gave you $40. And the rationale was the Saudis and, and most other countries never want to stop drilling and close up the wells because often when they open them up again, they lose access to all that oil. And so they were paying people. And all, every storage facility throughout the world, warehouses, uh, uh, ships on the on the sea, freighters were filled to the. They didn't have a, anywhere to put another barrel of oil. And then, as they figured out how to reduce the supply by cutting the OPEC, what OPEC, OPEC would offer to the rest of the mar, mar, world, it moved rapidly. It moved. It moved rapidly from from a negative $40 in a straight line up to $80. Anyway, I've said enough. I, I want you to have the benefit of listening to my brilliant guest, Ephraim. You want to give, disagree, agree, or, or add anything to what I... Sure. We'll just uh, pick up the thread kind of where you left it. Uh, as a former oil trader, I used to trade oil futures on the NYMEX. Oh. So I have a, yeah, a little context. This is one of the troublemakers. <laughs> um, I will say that there was a bit, um, I think, uh, some misinformation in the public about negative oil prices uh, during COVID. What actually happens is in the cash market, right, um, the, the, the oil was not trading negatively. It was just in the futures and it was just for a day or two. So really oil came down to, in, in, it was only a spot month, and again, futures are traded and settled financially, and you're right that people had no place to store it, and it costs more to cap the wells than to stop pumping. But it was really just for about um, the day before expiration and the day of expiration that oil traded negatively. But the next month, I think it probably got as low as 7 to $10 that day and did go kind of straight up. So... Yes, that uh, oil is definitely playing a role in this inflation. But, um, it, you know, whenever they give the inflation numbers, they give you core inflation numbers, with, which is outside of energy costs, and those numbers are still pretty high. So I think uh, oil is a very small part of this story. I think it's very easy to blame um, OPEC and Putin, and they definitely deserve uh, the, their share of the blame for put, putting oil on the fire here when uh, the world is struggling with inflation. But... I would not in any way point to oil as the main cause of inflation, right? I think um, there are a lot of other causes for inflation right now. Now you just heard the bias from, from a trader of oil. Uh, a I, former I, trader. Or a former, former trader. trader. Because even the futures are highly influenced by, uh, uh, because they know it matters, by uh, OPEC and Saudi Arabia and, and but they can buy as much of the futures as they want. So they paint the, the demand, they point to the future price, and they're the ones that influence it dramatically. It doesn't take much to influence that market with, with the kind of money that 
uh, 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 Saudi Arabia has available. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, OPEC is playing and, a role here. I just, I think, if I would ask, right, what's the total amount of oil used um, in the world today? What percent, if U.S. is at 8.2% inflation, how much of that is, it, how much of that 8.2% is the actual oil? That number is going to be 1% tops, right? So um, it's definitely, again, they definitely deserve some of the blame. It's just more anecdotal, I believe, than the core issues, right? The core issues uh, really come down to the money supply and how much money was printed during COVID. Uh, necessarily, don't have an issue with that. But uh, I think the real inflationary pressures are a lot more complex than simply OPEC and uh, Putin. I'm not saying it's not complex, Ephraim, but every inflationary outbreak we've had in this country, mm-hmm. was triggered by the price of oil. Before 72, I don't know if you're familiar with this, it was a dollar a barrel, right? A dollar mm-hmm. a barrel, it's hard to believe. Uh, maybe two dollars at the tops. And that was because the American companies owned the oil wells in all the OPEC countries. And how did they come to own it? The, all these... None of these countries had the uh, technology, the ability to take it out of the ground. They had no experience with it. They were given their countries by Great Britain, and their good fortune is there were tons of oil. They were floating on a on an ocean of oil. These countries, especially companies in the Middle East like Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, the. Uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the, uh, the, the, the UAE? UAE, the United Arab Republic uh, countries. And then, um, and the reason that it was so low was the American companies, Exxon, Mobile, British uh, Oil. Um, all the great oil companies in the world owned it, and they were they were giving Saudi Arabia and these other countries a royalty. They said, "Turn over the the uh, wells to us, and we'll give you a royalty." What happened was suddenly Occidental Petroleum in Libya grabbed the oil and said, "It's our country. It's our oil," and they immediately moved up the price, and within six months or so, it was trading at $8. And I have to give you some background in history, Ephraim. Mm-hmm. When, when, and, and I don't know if you studied this, I did it in, in my, but I was in school many years before you, and it was even happening in my time. If, if uh, a country grabbed a, a banana farm in Ecuador, we sent down battleships. It was called battleship diplomacy. And the minute we sent down our battleships, they disappeared off, the, they returned the, um, the farms, uh, uh, the banana farms, to United Fruit. That was the biggest producer of, uh, of uh, fruits and vegetables to, to the U.S. and the world. Biggest. So had, had the oil companies like Exxon and, uh, and Mobile and Texaco complained, 
and said they're grabbing our our oil. We own it. It would have ended with we, we, the, the, the gunboat diplomacy would have worked. But the oil companies saw that they would get a dollar a barrel, and they had to pay a royalty, so they were collecting maybe 50 cents a barrel or 75% a barrel, and suddenly it went to $8, so they said, why would we complain? You know, we're getting $8, and not only that, but all the oil we own in other places around the world, Nigeria and Indonesia and wherever else, and the United States and Texas, now is worth... Way more. So the, yeah, so they were part. They are part of the OPEC problem. The, this is not uh, a vote in favor of OPEC, and I, I would agree with you. I, I have an issue with OPEC, uh, both morally. I think we don't allow collusion from companies within America, and why right. should we allow? Um, they all be in jail. They allow it outside America. I'm just simply saying that OPEC's been around since you mentioned it, and right. And I think in your intro, you pointed out that inflation's been historically low all that time, despite OPEC artificially raising the crude oil prices. And crude oil prices today sit around, I guess, $85 a barrel. They were as high as 120 right? And we don't see inflation coming down. The numbers are still pretty hot. So I think um, even if we got oil down to the his, you know, his, historical average over the last 20 years, which is probably mid-50s, mid-60s, that's not going to solve the problem. Again, I, I can share what I think the issue is or what I think the potential issue is and uh, how we get out of it. I mean, in my opinion, and I'll say it quickly, um, we, well, the history of inflation, right, it t- goes back to when we went from a hard, right, a commodity-backed currency to a fiat currency. When the dollar was no longer backed by the gold standard, the government now had an infinite amount of money, infinite, infinite amount of borrowing capacity and infinite amounts of printing money capacity. And for those who want a real education in this. Read Ray Dalio's recent book. Are you are you familiar with Ray Dalio from Bridgewater? I'm I think familiar it's, with yeah. who he is, but uh, yeah. I haven't read um, his book. His recent book, Changing World Order, is pretty interesting and goes through this in great detail. But um, the government now has an ability to print as much money as it possibly can. When COVID hit, now despite that fact, and the government, con- we've had low interest rates since pretty much 2008, but even really longer than that. Uh, when COVID hit, um, and, the, and the government put us in lockdown. The government did what it had to do. And I, again, I applaud the financial response of the government. Um, we can nitpick about the medical response of the government, but the financial response of the government was swift and decisive. And they started giving out loans and, and uh, giving money, putting, getting it in the hands of people who needed it. The way they funded this, right, the way the government currently funds debt is the Treasury issues debt which can either be bought by other countries or can simply be bought by the Fed. And the way the Fed gets the money to buy the debt is click. When Jerome Powell clicks a button, he's now created $4.5 trillion. So $4.5 trillion was given out by the government, created by the Fed, and that just added to the money supply, right? So um, I think the day the government issued the PPP order and started giving out subsidies to everybody, at that point, we had really a 35% inflation that day. It just has taken two years for it to hit the actual prices. So when you're seeing 8.5% year over year, it's really a function of all the money the government's given out. And That's it's right. just a reality. You make a good point. But I have to point out to you that the government's ability to print money goes back since... Uh, what's, uh, since uh, 
Nixon took us off the gold standard. We, it used to be 35,000 ounce, and it always stayed at 35,000 ounce. Recently, it's been up to, I think, over $2,000 an ounce. But they've always had the ability to print money. They have printed tons of money during the 2008 uh, uh, recession or Great Recession. They printed tons of money to save the banks, to, to raise the inflation rate if they could, mm -hmm. because inflation helps borrowers and helps the banks. Why? How does it help the borrowers and the banks? Because as the um, inflation goes up, people's salaries go up, uh, the company's income goes up in terms of the the nominal value. It's not it's not worth more. The salary doesn't buy anything more. Right. The company's profits aren't meaningfully more in terms of the value, but the number is high and the loans, the nominal loans are fixed. So if I have a mortgage and I'm paying four hundred dollars a month on that mortgage, and it's been uh, tough for me to meet that $400, and suddenly we have inflation, and my salary goes up, or my stocks go up, or whatever, uh, then it's, I can pay off the loan much more quickly. As a matter of fact, if we didn't have inflation, we could never have paid off the debt of the Second World War. Notwithstanding that, we've had no inflation period, even in 2008, when when they printed tons of money. So every, not, not that we've had money, but every uh, upsetting of the economy, particularly on the inflation side, there's only been two. The one after 72, we had the, the one that finally was ended by Paul Volcker. And, and this recent one is the attributable maximally so the, the relationship of oil to uh, to the rest of the economy. Yeah. So, Stan, you, you, you're correct, uh, uh, obviously, in everything you're saying. I would every, every once in a while. And, uh, I'm like a busted clock twice a day. Twice correct. a day. Yeah, we still have to look at a different clock to know if, it, if the busted clock is right. Um, here, here's what I would say. Uh, I would follow, where did the money go in 2008 and where did it go to 2020? And you'll see maybe there was inflation in 2008, right? So in the you financial mean, crisis... You mean it wasn't reported when it Well, we all, we all know how, uh, how numbers get reported, right? But um, in 2008... Stop, stop being a conspiracy. <laughs> In, I think it's reported the same all the time. No, yeah. no, no, that's but not what I'm saying. Know. I agree with you. I'm not, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying in 2008, the money flowed from the government to the financial institutions and not directly into the right. So your Main Street employer didn't see any money during the bailouts of 2008. What got bailed out were the big banks and the things that were too big to fail and asset prices. Now, would you say there are no asset price inflation since 2008? From 2008 till 2020, the stock market, the housing market, and all assets basically went straight up. And the reason they but went straight up... But it hasn't impacted the, the masses I, of the people. I, I, would, I would agree with you. But I'm just saying, follow where the money went, and that's where the inflation went. In 2020... Well, we didn't have any inflation. Well, there was asset We've price. We had two uh, uh, periods of significant inflation. Inflation, and inflation even, even now, I 
pointed out to, to the listeners on this chart that we have the lowest of most of the advanced countries. Again, so they're, they're, this is probably using something called the CPI, right? The core price index. There are different ways to measure inflation, right? So if you t- typical way to measure inflation is take a bucket of potatoes, uh, milk, eggs, and see how that price changes. Now, between 2008 and 2020, there was very low infl- inflation on milk, eggs, and wheat, and so on and so forth. But if you look at asset prices, which is where the, where the money from the government flowed, there was tremendous inflation, right? What's your house worth? What was, what's your house worth today, vis-a-vis what is worth 2008? Where, what's the stock market worth? What, where was all the debt instruments, right? What happened to them? Now, in 2020, when the government printed four and a half trillion dollars, it didn't go into financial institutions. It went into hands of every person, as it should have been. This is not a knock on what the government did, but where the government flowed, that's where you're going to see the inflation. So the, the money flowed to people who are spending on milk, eggs, rice, and so on and so forth. So if, again, in my humble opinion, the result of this inflation is not the result of the Democrats or the Republicans. It's just a very natural result of the government's astute and correct plan to deal with the lockdowns that COVID faced. And that's just the fact. You're going to have 25% total inflation from 2020 to 2022. Now, the question of where will it go from here? And that's where I'm very optimistic, because if that inflationary act has ceased, when the government has, is no longer giving handouts, right, the, it's not like this real inflationary pressure that continues. I don't think we will see net inflation next year in 2023 be meaningful over this year. Uh, but regardless of where the Fed acts from here, the, the Fed's acted very aggressively, and I think maybe perhaps the Fed should stop being so aggressive. But if the real inflationary pressure, it, again, inflation is a lagging indicator, right? So it's, it's indicative of what happened in the past, right? It's not, a, it's not a forward-looking indicator. So in my opinion, if the government were to just stay the course and the Fed would just stay the course right now, the inflationary pressure would naturally come off. And sure, love to see oil prices down and get rid of OPEC. I'm all for that. I just don't think that's, you know, that's, uh, that might be 1% to 2% of this, 8.2%. It's not the other 6 um, And again, I think that, you know, uh, when the government pu- uh, publishes the inflation da- data, they, right, there's that other number that's X, uh, X energy, right? Um, what do they call it? Uh, core inflation? I believe yeah. they call it core inflation, which is X energy. Um, and again, we've come down from 120 to 85, and the inflation hasn't come down. So, you know, I think inflation was just a necessary outcome of a necessary uh, stroke that the government I, had to I take. I agree with you fully. There was a lot of money issued uh, during the pandemic. They didn't spend that money instantly, and then it suddenly exploded the demand. So that was a major part of the inflation. But still, the, the uh, interest rates stayed at 0%. Uh, there was no pressure, inflation pressure. And until, until Trump, stupidly in my view, uh, said we should put tariffs on China for what they're shipping here because they're getting all our money, which for, for 34, I remember, look, and when I was in the market in the early 80s, every time the, the government announced the amount of negative trade balance and how much money 
China was taking from us, the market would tank immediately. And then it happened again and again. And never, it kept getting larger and larger, the deficit, the trade deficit. And everything was hunky-dory because there was nothing wrong with the Chinese getting all that money. They were buying our bonds, stupidly, I think, because by the time they cashed it in, same thing happened with Japan. One time we were worried about the Japanese getting all our money, but they bought all assets, they bought the product from America, and it was healthy. Afterwards, <laughs> remarkably, they bought Rockefeller Center, they bought the, what's that golf course in, in the West? Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. They bought all these things for uh, you know, high prices, and then they, at, at, years later they sold it at 50% of what they paid. So let them have the money. If they're stupid enough to take the American dollars, uh, God bless them. And we, we get something real out of it. Well, well, you know, the stupid thing is, there's a thing, I don't know if you're familiar with it, called mercantilism. At one time, all the countries simultaneously decided, because gold was the, was the currency, was the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, Reserve currency? The currency in use between countries. So every, every country was eager to get more gold. So each car, how do you get more gold? You export more and import less. So they put no tariffs on exports, but they put enormous tariffs on imports. So they, all the countries stopped importing. Uh, they started to get more gold, but since it's a, it's a zero-sum game, there's only so much gold in the world. Uh, it stopped all trade, and it was detrimental to everybody because, as what's-his-name, Adam Smith said, each person acting in his own self-interest produces for others at, at attractive prices, and that's a good deal for us. So even though you're giving them your money, you're getting something that's important to you. And what we were getting from China... And now, one of the big influences of, of inflation is every product that you go to buy, especially the poorest people, the ones at the lowest income bracket, everything they go out to buy at Walmart, at Target, at uh, the dollar stores. A friend of mine yesterday told me he's doing business with dollar store, one of the dollar stores. He said he never realized they have, like, I, I, he said, guess the highs, I guess, you know, 17,000. Stores. He says they have like 98,000 stores and they're up, they plant up in 3,000 every, every six months or something. So all their products come from China and other countries like that. And so right away, I, I wrote a book that I, I never had published because I was so busy and then the pandemic came out and it was, it was here for a while. So I got to update it. It's, it's called, a, What Would You Do If You Were King? The reason I said that is because you would, if you're a king, you would have to deal with Congress, so you could implement whatever you want. It's not going to happen ever, but it gives you an idea of what would be the most desirable if it didn't have to deal with the political motives. And unfortunately, we don't have, we're not living in a democracy because the vote for something could be, as it is with guns, say, seventy percent of the United States or more is for some kind of 
gun control. But the NRA is one of the biggest contributors and, and uh, spends more on, on the people that go around. What do you call them? Lobbyists. What? Lobbyists. Lobbyists. Lobbyists than anybody. And they, they know it's their one issue. So even though the other people, Americans, have, have a lot of issues, they're focused, and every congressman knows that if he votes for something that even can, you know, limits the distribution of guns a little bit, that they make him a target and they, and they get, get rid of them. So nobody votes against the NRA. But it's not only the guns. It's every single thing. So we think we're electing a, a congressman to represent us. The people do. Or, or the senators to represent us. They say they will, but, but when they get elected, they ask the guy who's the biggest donor, what, what do you want? What, and then they vote for that. It's called legally legalized. I mean, it's not called. It is legalized bribery because they're adhering to the wealthiest guys that got the money rather than what, what the masses want. Yeah. And so, you can tell that from the polls and from the... Well, you know, it's true. And um, on a lot of issues today, I, I, I believe that really most Americans can find common ground. Uh, you know, some of the really hot-button issues like gun control, abortion, I think 85% of America, you right. got them in a room, uh, would find common ground and right. be within reasonable parameters they could agree. It's just the loud think, politicians pandering to specific yeah. hard elements of, of their bases. Most Americans think that the guy who gets the most elected uh, uh, votes in an election, presidential election, should get the presidency. Well, uh, if that were the case, would you have said that in 2016 as well? I say it all the time. Okay. But, but, <laughs> but there was not an issue in 2016. Well, so, uh, Hillary won the popular vote in 2016. I'm not saying the popular vote. Oh. I'm saying the one who wins the most electoral vote that comes from the popular But the, the Republicans haven't won won a popular vote in, in way back to, to Reagan. Yeah, look, uh, on your democracy yeah. questions, um, there's one of the, probably one of the smartest guys out there in the podcast world. There's a guy by the name of Balaji. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, but he wrote a book called The Network State. And he says, what we're real, like you pointed out, this is not real democracy. It's 51% democracy, meaning as soon as you get 51% of the votes, you can do whatever you want. But what if your state was not defined by your geographical location, but whatever, whoever you connected yourself to online, right? And think in a futuristic world where you're actually voting on every issue, right? There's no, you don't need a representative. So he's got a real futuristic mind that I would urge okay. everyone. Okay. This guy, Balaji, I think his last name is Srivinson. B-A-L-A-G-I, his, no, his background. Um, he's, a tech, he's a tech entrepreneur. Um, I think he was part of the founding team at Coinbase. He worked for Andreessen Horowitz. So brilliant uh, VC um, in, in the tech space. But he just says, why go 51% democracy when we can vote on everything, right? Very interesting way uh, of looking at things. And no, again... But, but he starts off with the wrong assumption. Yeah. People get more than 51% and we don't get anything enacted. But well, the point is that... Sure. Right. You should be able to, if you want, to vote on everything, right? Not just the elected official. There's no, it's an arbitrary uh, system where we decide yeah, to vote on that, elected officials. That would be um, uh, 
you know, overwhelming in terms of well, you don't handling. Have to, right? No, handling. I, I agree. Yeah. It should be, a democracy should be, at least I understand democracy to be that. It's the vote of the, of the people. Can I pull the conversation back to something you said earlier? Anything you I, like. I think you pointed out, so I, I want to ask your opinion on long-term, what the, the Fed should do, but I just want to kind of categorize and box the question in a little bit, right? So you mentioned uh, very astutely that the, we really need inflation. And the real reason we need inflation is the government is constantly increasing the debt ceiling, right? So the g- government that currently sits at about $27 trillion, I believe, and the only real strategy to get out of it, right? Well, like, much no. bigger if you include yeah. what they are on Social Security. And oh, that's a good the, point. It's probably $80 trillion. $80 trillion. So um, no one in the government is planning on cutting I'm salaries. i that number. I'm, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't bar- you wouldn't borrow no, against uh, it? <laughs> no, it might be more, it might be less. Um, I don't think anyone in the government is taking a pay cut anytime soon or anyone's looking to inflict austerity measures. So the only thing left for the government to do is inflate away the debt, right? So if $27 trillion represents X percent of GDP today, as long as interest rates stay below GDP, looking out 25 years from now, it'll be, like you pointed out, the same nominal number of $27 trillion, but in terms of the real number, it'll be a much lower percentage of GDP. And that's kind of this dirty little secret that we really want inflation because that's the only... No, the um, Fed announced that they want to get up to 2%. Right. They couldn't even get up to 2%. But if they can't get it up to 2%, right, what they still need to do is keep the interest rates below um, where the GDP growth rate is, right? Because the GDP has got to grow to catch up to this debt ceiling. So given that I think long-term we kind of need low interest rates to manage the debt... What do you think the Fed should be doing at this moment? No, I'm with you. You know, when the interest rates were so low, I was advocating the government should send, sell, and there was a big demand. I don't know for how much, but there was definitely demand by other countries and other investors. Issue 50-year bonds and 100-year bonds, you know, 2%. No, you couldn't get 2%. You know, I used to say I'm making so much money uh, my banks are going to charge me for storage. And that was a joke. But in, during this period, if you put money in a Swiss bank or in, in, even in the U.S., uh, and, but a lot of places, at the end of the year, if you put $1,000 in, at the end of the year, you'd get back 975 They were charging you for storage, you know what I mean? So they changed all the rules and everything, but... Look, we do everything to mess when we, when things are going okay. We should stop messing with it, and you know it's gone okay with China. The one of the reasons we have why do we have uh, uh, wage growth now? Why is the, the price of employees going up so much? Hasn't gone up for for years now. If you're an employee, you're not happy with that, but that contains contained certainly inflation. Why, why, why do you think we didn't have any? Um, you tell me. Not sure. Because we had a reservoir of employees that we never gave, got over fully employed. Right. Now when we get fully employed, anybody wants another employee in the United no, States, but why do you has think... to bid up. We had the right. Chinese people as a reservoir. Yeah. 
Are you saying because uh, they were outsourcing they, the jobs? They, they were our employees, right? So instead of appreciating that, we have enough jobs. If you had good values, if I had good values, we have enough jobs for our people yeah. for the next fifty years to to fix the bridges and and the and, yeah. the, and the tunnels Anyone? and the water systems and the, and the grid and and the, everything the ports. We have so much work to do. Let them let them make the garbage for us. Yeah, and I'll uh, uh, two points to that. Number one, um, the infrastructure here is embarrassing. Yeah. Anyone who's been to Penn Station, the fact that we haven't invested. Uh, look, the long term trend was, show. When was the last time a new a new bridge or a bridge or a new tunnel was? But if you had to build the the subway system today, it would take. Uh, yeah, uh, we don't have enough money. <laughs> yeah, to to get through the uh, the legal barriers, the, right? No, even just they, they were doing an extension, the Second Avenue extension. They spent a billion dollars and then they stopped it for a while. Now they started again. I don't know what part is finished, but it was well over a billion or two billion dollars for a small extension. Yeah, I, I think the data shows that if a government's going to borrow money, uh, the two places it should invest it in is education and infrastructure because those are the things that... I'm with you, kid. <laughs> you'll increase productivity, finally, you'll increase GDP. We finally, we finally agree on something. You're right. Um, yeah. The, uh, so why don't, why don't we do that? Why does it... Because governments are inefficient, right? Governments... Uh, they. Governments are short-sighted. Yeah, but, Let me say this. I, I don't buy into that because when we say the private sector is so much better than the government, the private sector is a disaster. Is it? It's a disaster no, in terms it's, of its, uh, its objectives, my, no, but at my, least it my, accomplishes my, its objectives. My theme is this. What's the Bill of Rights, right? The Bill of Rights said, the advised future generations to make this a more perfect union and to provide for its people to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What it's evolved to is we're not making it a more perfect union. If anything, we're, it's outrageous that we, we're so uncivilized. We, I would outlaw wars. And after all these years, we, we send our young people, the best people, to go to wars and kill other innocent young guys. Not that they hate us or we hate them. It's outrageous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a proposal that if they want to have wars, that it could only be uh, soldiers or draftees that are over 65. Then, then no, then, then... Or, then, or politicians' kids can serve. That too. <laughs> Younger. No, but if they're over 65, they're going to be at the, at the battlefront... A guy's running away. They're going to rather sit down and take yeah. a rest. I'll put a ba- some bathrooms on the battlefield. <laughs> they, they could pee on them. If, if I could ask you, uh, to, we have about 10 minutes left. But it's barbarous what we do. Uh, We're, and, and not only that, the United States is the most belligerent. No other country is in as many wars or funds as many wars. Every country that gets, that's our most profitable. I don't know if you realize that at the end of Eisenhower, Eisenhower eight years, I thought he was a, Weak president. It turns out, looking back, he had eight years. We had no wars. We had nothing. You know, and and not only that, but at the end, every president that finishes finishes tenure makes a speech. What a great job he's done! How he's improved everything. His main point was, and he's focused on this. 
He said, be careful, be cautious with respect to the military-industrial complex. Interesting. And, and, and now we spend, they keep raising it. You know, we were supposed to, after the, the Cold War ended, we were supposed to get a big dividend, you know, uh, spending much less on, on, uh, on armaments, on war. Wow. And, and we, we, it kept going up and up and up. This year was set at $670 billion, and then last minute, I don't know who added another $250 billion. We should be spending that money on the people that are going to kill the president, the vice president, his children, his grandchildren. Yeah. Real defense. You know, when I was young, with what the defense department was called? What? The war department. Then they said, oh, that doesn't sound good, you know. You don't say a guy dropped dead, you say a guy passed away. You, you, what is it, euphemism or something? So they decided to call it the Defense Department. So they have a defense budget. They don't have an offense budget. Most, <laughs> of, most of the budget is for offense. Sounds like the New, but, New, New York no, Giants. Yeah, but who could, who, could, who could ever vote against defense? You've you got to defend yourself. Well, but what, who's, would you, if you had a bet, yeah. are you, your family, members of your family, is the president or his kids or the congressman or his kids, his loved ones, going to be killed by somebody that attacks? First of all, America's never been taxed even on its, on its uh, own grounds. You but know, would uh, you bet they're going to well, be... No, would you bet that... Who do you want defense against? Cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's... Look, uh, uh, you, you make an, an amazing point. I will say my son did a, a book report, or he had to do a report early uh, last year. How old was he? Uh, he is 13. Oh my so God. He, he had to pick, what, there were some given topics, and he put, picked the most dangerous job in the world. And other than perhaps suicide bomber, because I'm not sure. <laughs> Which uh, is the most... Uh, so he said U.S. president, because uh, five out of oh, the, yeah. what, how many? Yeah, I think most. five were assassinated. Right. So um, it, it, it certainly, again, uh, y- your point that well, a human life... It's, it's more than five, no? Is there's been 44. Uh, how many were assassinated? No, there, in there's office. not 44 presidents. They, when they get elected twice, they count, count it again. Anyway, no. there's about 45. Yeah. And maybe 70 were killed in office. And, and seven, uh, not 70. Again, could not agree with you more that a human life, be it via war, cancer, any way a human no, so life why, is why taken. Why shouldn't that be our defense budget? Uh, well, because Instead of well, spending God, money to well, kill other again, you know the we're barbaric. The theory, the, we're barbaric. I can't argue we're, with that. I don't know anything become, about it. But government, no, we supposedly become more civilized with the passage of time. Well, just my question to you is: if the U.S. reduced its defense budget, um, could the case be made that the, the there would be more less wars? Uh, well, what, there would be mean, less wars. Well, would Russia? So Russia spends thirty-three percent of its GDP on on its military. Right. So, do you really think a world where the U.S. has a lo- lower defense budget, but still has Putin, still has China, still has Iran, still has Syria? Would, everybody else would lower its debt too. Uh, you know what? I, I, no, I don't know. I, I believe, it only takes one believe, crazy person no, to build that budget. I, I believe that the U.N. doesn't work at all. But all the countries should agree to contribute troops. If any country starts a war, that goes in and, 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 and attacks them to end the war. And we shouldn't get involved in, in the civil wars in different countries. It's not our place to make the whole world 
better and, and within countries. It's, so, it's ridiculous. Even what's his name? The Monroe Doctrine. He said we should only stick to protecting the North and South America. That's enough. What are we doing? In, what are we doing in Vietnam? What are we doing in North Korea? What are we doing? In, the only the, I'll tell you the only the best guy. He was a genius. Was uh, was Reagan? Why? He said we need. We haven't won anything. The Korean War since the Second World. We had the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. We haven't won a war. So he said we need a war. We need a win. So everybody is impressed with America and, and the military will be uplifted. So they went to war against Granada. They have no army. army that, we bombed a lunatic asylum there. And like Jackie Mason said one time, brilliantly, he said, ever since Reagan took care of Granada, he, he's no longer worried every night when he goes to sleep that Granada is going to do a surprise <laughs> attack against the United States. If I could ask you in our last couple minutes, if in that book, if you were king, what are some of your insights? I'd resign. <laughs> <laughs> well, who would you choose as queen? Because if, if you think more presidents got killed, more kings get killed than anybody, even by their own children, by their own sons. Yeah. If you were to pick three things you could do as king, what would they be? Number, uh, I guess number one, one is outlying war. Yeah, I mean, if I could do that. Outlive war, have all this defense applied to research and development of cures for, for human beings. Uh, if we spent that kind of money for, for 700 billion, almost a trillion dollars, I think, it, on, on, on the war, it's the biggest part of our required uh, budget. I started to tell you one thing about the private sector that I didn't finish. So we changed from life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness to life, liberty, and the pursuit of ever greater GDP growth and profits. I just was pointing out to him this brilliant move that they just made to limit the price of uh, insulin. In the United States, they cut it back to $35 and uh, uh, whatever, uh, treatment, 35 there's no other country in the world. The United States is the highest price because they were charging much more. So now it's a big deal. They cut it down. Uh, in Turkey, it's two and a half dollars. In most of the other countries, it's six, the highest ten dollars. So that shows the private sector has to be regulated, and, and they want to just play the free, free, uh, you know, free markets. Free. I'm, I'm in favor of free markets, but it's like you can't have total freedom. Look, I'm driving home two o'clock, two a.m. at night, and I see there's no cars, nothing, and the light turns red. I said, "There's no, nobody for miles around. Why, why, why should I stop? I'm like an idiot. I should just ride through." I don't do it because I know one time, even though I don't see it, another guy is going to come in and kill me. Okay, so we obey the rules. So nobody likes regulations. I find it very frustrating. When I'm in a hurry to get somewhere in the middle of the night, okay, during the daytime, I understand. But middle of the night, why should I? Uh, why should I have to? So we have to put regulations, and the Republicans have. I, I was always a Republican, and uh, I, I supported Reagan. I support. 
but I, I supported the, uh, I loved, what's his name? Hillary's husband. Bill. Bill. <laughs> okay. I, I, I hope you'll forgive me. Oh. <laughs> I thought he did a great job. And he's the first guy that ever had, the first that ever had a, a, a federal uh, uh, not deficit uh, surplus. Yeah. And, and you, you want to know the amazing thing? A guy like, I'm friendly with him, Alan Green, Greenspan. I played yeah. tennis with him. I did. Doesn't look like much of a tennis player. No, not much. <laughs> but most of them were. It was, it was a, what do you call it? Uh, what are the big guys called? The celebrity? Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? So he was a celebrity. But anyway, so he, when, when that happened, he says, oh my God, what's going to happen? People won't be able to buy bonds. Companies, retirement plans won't be able to buy secure treasury bonds because if we have a surplus, it'll be so, so dangerous. I couldn't believe that a guy who's so bright would believe that a country would ever be, be concerned that they wouldn't spend enough money. But it's been a pleasure. I got to so so my heart stop. Thank you so much. You were great. Thank you. Thank you. You were great. Even when you disagree with me, <laughs> it's very, no, it's very okay. logical. Yeah. Oh, by the way, open dialogue between two people who disagree is the real path to wisdom and the real, what's really wrong with our country right now, right? Yeah. There's just zero dialogue. And, um, you know, I, I don't look at the political spectrum. I will say, I'll leave you with this. I don't, uh, You'll tell me what you think about it. I don't look at it as Republicans and Democrats. I look at it as people who can have a conversation and people who don't. So I I would vote for any moderate on either side who can appreciate and understand and work with someone on the other side. And again, just even the idea that I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat is outsourcing your thinking and never outsource your thinking. Go through every issue individually. And if half the country uh, feels differently than you, then they might have a point, right? So um, they're... Honest, you know, people who can engage in dialogue and they're extremists and people, the most, people who try to impose their will and their vision on other people is the end of every free society. Look at it everywhere in the world, whether religion's the motivation or wokeism or um, the alt-right. Anyone who's just trying to impose an ideology or a way of life on someone else is the breakdown of the society. I spoke to a guy yesterday that I took public years ago. Name of the company is Morgan Margo. That's the name of his wife. So he told me that he he thinks they're all terrible. You know, he thinks Biden's a disaster, but Trump is even worse and so forth. But he says his wife and he had a big big argument the night before. He said she she wants to vote. She doesn't want to vote for DeSantis. He lives in Florida, and he wants to vote for DeSantis. And she doesn't want to vote for Trump, and he, he's not sure yet what between the other two. So she said, "If you vote for this, she tells him if you vote for the Santos, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, cooking for you anymore." <laughs> so it breaks up family. And how ridiculous is that, right? Yeah, how, you know, how ridiculous is best, that? The best, think uh, you know, uh, response I heard. Is they asked an older woman, who are you voting for? She says, I'm not voting. 
Not holy. How come? Says, uh, what, what was your response again? Just encourages him. What? Uh, yeah, it only encourages him. <laughs> Thank you very much. It only encourages him. Thank you. Good to see you. You are great. You're really brilliant. Thank you. Send me your resume so next time I'll have, I have to make one up. Make up whatever you want. I'll, I'll put it up. I got to play tennis with you to be.